welcome to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce, and I'd like to welcome my guests to the show today, Patience Marimay Ball, who is the founder and CEO of Women of the World Endowment, and Dr. Ruth Shaver, who's the founder and president of Tara Health Foundation. And they are both co-authors of the book, The XX Edge, Unlocking Higher Returns and Lower Risk. Love the title of that book, and welcome to the show. Thank Thanks you for so much, Sean, us. for having us. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk more about the topic that we've got prepared for today. But before we do that, what would be great is for our audience to learn a little bit more about you both. Can we go into your respective backgrounds and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So this is Ruth, and I'll I'll start. Um, my background is very unusual, given that I've landed in the in the field of finance. Um, I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, and I had a long career at Kaiser Permanente here in Northern California. And during that career, in addition to being a clinician, I also had many different executive roles at, at Kaiser. And during my career, I learned how central women are to um, healthcare decision-making, to the health of their families, and um, worked in an organization where women and diverse uh, people in general had a lot of uh, leadership roles. I left Kaiser Permanente in 2012 and uh, founded the Tara Health Foundation in 2014 with the intention of continuing a lot of what I learned in my uh, work in healthcare to the fields of philanthropy and impact investing. And much of our work is focused on women, both their reproductive health and their economic health. And um, we do quite a bit of uh, investing. In fact, 100% of our uh, assets are invested for our mission, which is around uh, gender and also racial equity. And um, what we do is use our grant capital to help build the field of impact investing and really have a systems engineering approach to both philanthropy and investing. And in that journey, I um, had the good fortune of meeting patients about um, three years ago. Thanks, Ruth. And uh, a little bit about myself, Sean. So I started my professional uh, career at uh, the International Finance Corporation, which is the private sector arm of the World Bank. Um, that was after law school and business school. I have a JD and an MBA. And um, my first, the first part of my career, actually, I worked on, I did project finance into power generation assets uh, all over the world. Um, and then uh, moved on uh, to do distressed assets work. So I went from uh, investing power generation assets at the IFC, worked for a little bit on uh, in New York for a Japanese bank, doing the same thing, project finance. Then um, uh, came back to the IFC and uh, moved into distressed assets work uh, where I was doing restructurings of non-performing portfolios. Um, and then finally, um, in the final part of my career at the IFC, I moved to the financial markets department where I did investments into... Um, financial institutions around the world, but also uh, into private equity and uh, and private equity funds uh, and venture funds as well. Um, in 2008, I was in that role in financial markets when Lehman Brothers fell. Uh, and Christine Lagarde, who was the head of the IMF at the time, said if Lehman Brothers had been Lehman Sisters, things would have been different. I spent the next... Uh, couple of years really interrogating what would have been different. And this is when the research around how gender diverse teams tend to um, uh, bring about more resilient companies, um, companies with better risk infrastructure 
And over time, companies that actually outperform was emerging. Uh, we noticed that companies with gender diverse teams coming out of that crisis uh, were able to emerge a little quicker with, um, relative to their peers. I mean, every, every company suffered, but uh, those with gender diverse teams on their boards in, this, in the C-suite uh, navigated that crisis a little better. I ended up uh, building um, a platform for the IFC, the International Finance Corporation, that was that we called banking on women, which was a play on words, betting on women while at the same time giving them access to capital. Uh, this is now um, a, a platform that is uh, um, provided uh, billions of dollars of capital to women entrepreneurs around the world. We also issued the first ever gender bond and did some exciting things. Uh, I left IFC, took early retirement to hang out with my boys because uh, mom had always worked out of a suitcase uh, traveling to other parts of the world, and um, but was still wanting to stay in the gender diverse space and ended up um, as an angel investor. Um, and then in 2018, founded Women of the World Endowment. And I'll say a little bit more about Women of the World Endowment later, but I want to um, pivot a little bit to how Ruth and I met. Uh, we met in 2019. Uh, and uh, we had breakfast um, at, a, uh, at a little restaurant um, uh, in Europe. And Ruth uh, brought her systems map. She had uh, funded this work uh, looking at uh, capital markets and where the potential um, uh, levers for change could be um, could be identified and where women could become critical players in financial markets. And uh, she and I had that breakfast and we knew something magical was happening that morning. And, um, and we continued to collaborate. And the idea of uh, co-authoring a book um, came about when we were uh, on a visit to Singapore together, where we were um, uh, talking to some emerging impact investors who wanted to understand how gender could play in the impact investing. And at this breakfast uh, that we had been invited to, there were women on one side of the table and men on the other side of the table. The women were nodding their heads because the data that we're sharing, uh, they were aware of, but the guys sort of were eating their breakfast and not other, maybe somewhat disinterested. And uh, Ruth and I looked at each other afterwards and said, we have to write a book to bridge this divide. The men have to recognize that not seeing women as actors and solution drivers and, um, uh, um, and you know, decision makers who can make a financial difference actually misses uh, a whole lot of opportunity. And hence the XX Edge was born. Thank you both for sharing your collective backgrounds, which are ridiculously impressive, by the way. <laughs> um, and I have so many questions, as you might imagine. I'm particularly fond of the, and I remember that myself as well, too, because I spent quite a uh, large percentage of my career in finance and in particular in fintech. But I remember the Lehman Brothers collapse and it seemed to happen almost overnight, like a 140 year old company just essentially kind of disappeared into thin air, which is ridiculous to consider at this point. It was shocking then, it still is now. So the Lehman Sisters um, positioning that you just mentioned, I have so many questions about because it sounds super fascinating. And I want to dive into that as well as the book. So can you talk to us a little bit more about uh, I love the title. It's fascinating. I get an idea in terms of what I think is being indicated there, but I'd love for you to describe for us kind of the mission and purpose behind the book, the story that you're intending to tell. And I'd love to dive into anything you have that 
uh, indicates some of the data and the information that speaks to the opportunity here, because I think it's a fascinating perspective. Thanks, Sean. And, um, you know, when we decided that a book needed to be written about uh, the the value of gender diversity and in investing, we weren't sure what we were going to find. We knew from our personal experience, both patients and I have had quite a bit of experience as investors and using what has been called a gender lens and making our investment decisions. And we knew that in certain markets and certain types of capital, there was definitely an advantage, but we weren't sure what we were gonna find when we started our research. But, but lo and behold, across every single asset class, whether you're talking about women on boards of public companies or in the C-suite, uh, chief financial officers being female versus male, or entrepreneurs and having gender diverse teams starting companies or the management of funds that are investing in those companies, venture capital, real estate, debt, um, all the way down to what people often think about when they think about women and in investing in, in microfinance. Across the board, when there are women involved in the allocation of capital, there is an increased financial performance. And we want to make it clear that we weren't really comparing men to women, although in some cases that is the data that's available. But the consistency was when there's diversity, when there's gender diversity in those decision-making rooms. And so when we were thrilled to see that this data was, that our experience was panning out in the data and anything that was published, um, we set out to, to publish the book, but also to come up with our, you know, to think about why would this be so? What is it about having women at the table that was making a difference in financial performance? And, and we've come, we, we think there's three main reasons. One is that women tend to have, no, once again, this is tendencies. This is not absolutes, that there are plenty of men who have these same characteristics and there's plenty of women who don't. But what we, what we, um, see is that women tend to be more collaborative. They tend to have lower ego. They also tend to uh, analyze risk differently. And we pulled some of our uh, research from the gambling uh, data. And we know that men are much more likely to take risks, to be pressured by their social influences, to, um, to gamble, to be more likely to be problem gamblers. And if you think about the types of decisions that boards often make, or, or particularly startup companies, that there's a lot of risk involved. And women are not uh, averse to risk. They certainly take risks, but they analyze risks differently. And they also tend to be more interested in the long-term outcomes of decisions they make and less influenced by short-term gains. So if you put those tendencies together and bring them into whether it's the boardroom or the C-suite or as a, uh, founders of a startup company, you tend to get a different approach to the financial decision-making. Um, so those are the basic um, elements that, and tendencies that we think are really driving this, this outsized financial performance when you have diversity in the room. And, and maybe I could just add one more thing, Sean, that we, we also looked at. And well, maybe first I'll start with some supporting data. Uh, as, Ruth, as Ruth indicated, um, uh, the data was across uh, asset classes, but also across sectors. And we can talk a little bit more about sectors later. But um, our research showed that gender inclusive teams are 21% more likely to see our performance in profitability re relative to, to their peers. Uh, that's a significant um, uh, number. Um, if you look at uh, startups, 
uh, when startups have only a single female co-founder, um, we're not saying only female founded you know, startups, but just a single female co-founder, they're 63% uh, more likely to have uh, better performance, more resilient performance and longevity as well. Uh, if you look at uh, the hedge fund industry, which in most um, instances, people think that's high finance, that's really most suitable for, uh, for guys, uh, but uh, female risk takers in the, in the hedge fund space, the, there was a study done over a six year period that showed a 6% that, that um, women led hedge funds outperformed the average of larger hedge funds uh, by a margin of 6% over a six year period. Um, if you look at financial institutions who are traditionally, um, I, I think until the 1970s required men to co-sign for, for women accessing loans, uh, it's kind of funny because when you look at uh, the portfolios of women, um, desegregated portfolios by gender, you notice that women portfolios actually have lower NPLs, lower non-performing loans in them. And so women are better creditors. Uh, and so um, it's, it's, you know, the data is, is, is exciting. Um, but, you know, the other contextual thing that we noted in this book beyond the three um, characteristics uh, or tendencies that, uh, that Ruth pointed to was the fact that if we look around us, women have proximity to a lot of challenges that we are uh, that we we facing whether it's healthcare the healthcare industry is 70% female and those are the folks on the front lines of of issues the education space is 60 more than 60% female and those are the teachers in our classrooms and so on and so on in climate change greater than 50% of food food production is by smallholder farmers who are um, mostly female um, so if, if you just look at these numbers and, and you look at the different areas of our, of our lives, you see that women have proximity to these challenges, which makes them really incredible solution drivers in those areas. Uh, and really, they should be um, asset allocators into those areas, too. And that's the part that we are arguing in this book that the world is missing on wealth and health for more people when less women are in these rooms. This is super interesting. And I think patients uh, you're referring to, is that the study uh, from the my alma mater, the Vanguard group that you were speaking about? Because uh, I know I had read that, you'd shared that with me and we'll link to that in the show notes. But I found that to be fascinating, super interesting and a lot of data and statistics to back up a lot of what you were both discussing here and speaking to just the size and scale of that opportunity, which uh, I think is probably as part of the uh, both of your respective missions and what you're pursuing, the opportunity to make transformative change here, which I would love to talk a little bit more about in terms of what is the size and scale of that opportunity to look like to both of you? What does that transformation start to look like over time? And then what would you expect to be some of the results from, you know, pulling off the theme of this show, right? Scaling that impact over time. Like, what does that look like? So the couple things, you know, the um, the Vanguard study that you mentioned uh, looked at 2,600 actively managed funds over um, a 10-year period, and um, 
looked at the leadership of those funds, the teams that were managing the, the investment decisions of those funds, and they categorized them into four categories. And the teams that had that were gender diverse with greater than 50% female outperformed all the other teams, um, single, single gender teams and the mixed gender teams that were pr primarily male by 47 basis points. And, and what that means is it's a relatively easy, I'll put easy in quotes, way to screen your portfolio. And if that is something that could be done at scale where um, an individual asset owner or an asset manager or, um, or you're a, um, a big bank and you're recruiting fund managers, if you just start to think about how can I provide leadership and, and decision-making that's more gender diverse, my products are going to outperform. My portfolio is going to outperform. And what are the ramifications of that? What does that mean at scale? Well, it means that there that women are going to be in a higher demand for those jobs. And women are going into the financial industry. They're graduating at the same rates as men from business schools, but they tend to go into the lower level jobs or they're more segregated into a niche product. And, and pulling the, this talent into mainstream finance where they belong is going to change the markets for everybody. It's going to mean that our systems work more efficiently. It's going to mean that we're going to have to compensate people um, appropriately for the talent they bring. And so, so many of the other issues that we care about around pay equity, around the quality of benefits and healthcare that people receive at work, um, support for children and uh, childcare and the care economy, we really believe that that when the, the right kind of talent is in the room deciding where capital is going to be spent, that so many of those other problems are also going to get solved. And uh, just to add to what Ruth said, um, you know, the, the point I made uh, about um, more women being on the front lines of a lot of the challenges that we are facing today as a global community uh, and how that's an opportunity I think, Sean, the, the point you made about um, how can this actually be leveraged for large scale change, um, it, it, it brings, um, brings it down to um, what Ruth and I you know, love to say, that who allocates capital determines its purpose and that money can do more than a single dollar can do more than one thing at any given time. It can provide you incredible returns. Um, you know, Ruth just gave the example of uh, the 47%, 47 basis points that you can pick up just by picking the right team to manage your assets. But it can also uh, do the right thing by people and planet. What we invest in matters and what we invest in can give us profits, uh, but can also um, address some of the challenges that the world faces today, whether it's climate change, uh, healthcare, you know, these pandemics that are coming our way, um, health, uh, sorry, education, uh, where more people can be educated um, and be um, agents of change. So that's the scale of change that that can happen, not just at the capital allocation space, but you know all the other issues that we're dealing with downstream as well. Thank you both for that perspective and the additional detail. Super helpful. Uh, patience, that last uh, element that you mentioned there as well, too, in terms of who moves capital, determines its purpose, really starts to speak to what impact at scale could look like here. Um, and Ruth, I know you alluded to this as well also. 
that is super interesting to me in an area like impact investing, uh, which I know you talked about was a big part of your background, is a fascinating world. And I know it continues to develop, but is, I think, particularly interesting from, I thought about it differently from a perspective of, uh, I think it was a student who had shared this perspective on a podcast, another podcast I was listening to about impact investing in particular. And it was from the perspective of, you know, a student who is thinking about you know, starting a company and talking about its mission. And the description that was given, which I think was fascinating, was I don't just want to make money, I want to make a difference, which was a super interesting perspective uh, in that I think previously it may have been thought of either, you know, chasing whatever, whatever area we think we can do business in to make as much money as possible. But sometimes that may have been a sacrifice for what was right or what was best or what made the world a better place or what, what have you, right? Nowadays, I think what's really interesting and exciting is that that conversation is changing in terms of like, all right, well, instead of just cannibalizing everything for maximum dollars or profit, maybe we can also make the world a better place at the same time, which I don't know why it previously had been thought of as mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be, which is really interesting. And I'm starting to see more of this dialogue, uh, which is why I'm so interested in impact investing. Big part of my background is finance as well, too. That, in addition to everything you're talking about with gender diverse teams and how that maximizes the kind of results that you can have as well, too, starts to create some really interesting and exciting potential in terms of what we might see moving forward. So I'd love to hear you both speak about that a little bit in terms of how you could see the world of impact investing also taking shape and continuing to be successful as it reaches a different level of scale. Also, as we continue to see better gender diversity, which ultimately leads to better returns, where this where these dollars are being invested. And thanks for that question. This is Ruth answering first. Um, you know, the, um, there's been so much uh, backlash around this notion of ESG. And um, you know, so political and and so unnecessary. And if what our perspective is that investing in good companies, and you can define good in so many different ways. In our case, we're defining it as good for women or including women in capital allocation. That those those types of filters that you might use are actually selecting for the strongest companies and the ones that are gonna perform and be the most sustainable. And so whether you care about the climate or um, our poverty alleviation or good quality jobs for the most people, that when you start using those sorts of lenses to evaluate your investment decisions, that you're picking the best companies that are going to give you the returns you want and the, pro and the um, social impact that you want. And so, I think Patience and I both would love to see this whole notion of impact investing, this, this categorization that it, all investments have impact. And um, it's not just some, some niche over here, it's every single investment decision you make, every single consumer decision you make, every time you decide what company you're gonna work for, those are all impact investing decisions. And um, that people clearly want uh, companies to do more than just provide a financial return. And you can decide what that more is. It doesn't, we're not telling you what it is. We happen to have a book full of data that shows you that gender is an incredibly powerful driver of performance. But isn't it great that you also get all this other good stuff? And just to add to that, Sean, um, th this is um, the uh, core of Huawei's mission. Uh, you know, 
as I was, um, you know, growing up in this newfound recognition of women as actors, starting with that, if Lehman Brothers had been Lehman Sisters point uh, that was made in 2008, 2009, um, I came to the realization that um, money follows actors and innovators. And until we centralize women as solution drivers, actors and innovators, um, that is just going to be continue to be a challenge. And so um, Women of the World Endowment's mission is, is the fact that we are asset agnostic, we are you know, sector agnostic, but this com completely committed to the opportunity of centralizing women as decision makers, as actors. And we know that this actually does drive um, teams to be more risk aware, uh, to be more long-term um, uh, viewers of decisions, to be more risk aware. Uh, and that brings about lower risk and ultimately better performance. Um, and so it's really, um, and anyone can choose what it is that they want to centralize. For us, we believe that centralizing women just by far is the sort of um, underappreciated opportunity that can unlock so much wealth and health for so many more people around the world. It's sort of the, the impact investing um, uh, secret source that uh, that people just haven't uh, realized that they can take advantage of without very much work, actually. And that's the part that's uh, that's somewhat uh, disappointing. And I know that uh, part of what you focus on, Sean, is, is fintech specifically. Um, and so I want to fintech and technology and its intersection um, with financial markets, technology and its intersection with financial markets, which is fintech, I guess that's the definition. Um, one, I just want to uh, name a company that we've invested in it, Women of the World Endowment, and why we invested in it. Uh, it's, a, it's a company called uh, Ethos ESG, to Ruth's point about ESG. Um, we think that this is a new, this is an emerging asset class that will gain traction. Yes, there's backlash right now, as, as is expected, but it will gain, you know, momentum will keep moving forward. And centralizing women in how people think about the E, the S, and the G is an opportunity that we don't want to miss. And this um, company, Ethos ESG, was is one that uh, enables investors to not just, you know, you know, uh, uh, divest out of opportunities, but really be more um, thoughtful about how they invest into into companies. And you know, our our part in in this company, we're an investor. We use uh, the platform for our own portfolio construction. But I also sit on the board, where I'm able to figure out how the metrics and the KPIs and the the tools that are being developed can centralize this the role of women as as actors and solution drivers. So this is some of the work that we do, just figuring out where are those leverage points, where are those points of where you, if you insert a crowbar. Uh, and the crowbar itself may be, you know, uh, a small investment. How likely is it that it's going to, you know, cause, uh, you know, fault lines, positive fault lines into the rest of the system? Thank you both. There's so much context I, I want to dive into as well, too, with both of uh, what you had to share. Uh, Patience, you talked more about the fintech component in uh, leveraging, you know, impact investing and being a lever for 
seeing this change at scale, making the world a better place. Uh, really exciting there. The example of Ethos ESG was a great one. Uh, I think we're I'm, I'm excited for what's coming from the investing, the impact investing, especially, especially around ESG. Uh, there's a lot, there's so much potential there. It's a really exciting future. And, you know, big, big part of my piece, which is the tech, tech and software components in terms of how those can also be used as levers to reach greater scale, help more people. Uh, I'm very excited for the innovation that's going to come here. And then uh, Ruth, something that you mentioned as well, too, in terms of seeing all investing as impact investing is an exciting future as well, because that that's what I'm hopeful for as well, too, is that I never saw them as, as needing to be mutually exclusive. And I always thought that there's the potential to both build a great, sustainable, you know, healthy business, but at the same time, make the world a better place, right? That is, I would love to see that continue to become more common, more popular, and uh, almost expected, essentially, at scale. So that's that's very exciting. Uh, I want to thank you both for being here. I could speak to you both about this and, and so many other topics for so much time. Uh, unfortunately, we will essentially wrap up this episode, but I would love to have you both back to continue to talk about this mission and all the important work that you're doing. But before we uh, wrap this episode, I have a few other questions for you that I want to make sure I get an opportunity for you both to speak to uh, the respective mission of your organizations, for, especially for our listeners and anybody who's consuming this content, like what they can know about how they can help and or get involved, as well as anything else that you'd like to mention where where folks can go to learn more and you know also get involved. So uh, this is Ruth. You know the um, the work that we're doing uh, in promoting the book, the XX Edge: Unlocking Higher Returns and Lower Risk, is leading us to think about um, what's the actual movement that how do we actually influence the financial markets to embrace this approach to um, gender diverse investing. And we actually identified the one of the key drivers to be the amount of assets under management that are managed by diverse teams, not just the number of people in the seats. And historically, that's been a great uh, goal is to, for instance, increase the number of women on boards to 30% or to think about leadership teams as being um, having numbers of women. But it's actually the dollars that they manage that is the most important driver. And so we are going to be launching a campaign to try and increase the assets that are managed by gender diverse teams to 33%. And we'd like to do that by 2033. And, and keeping in mind that right now, the percentage is probably around 1%. So we've got a little ways to go, but we know that the talent is out there. So you can look for our campaign. Um, we're calling it 33 by 33. Um, and you can reach out to us at the XX Edge website um, and um, certainly look for me on LinkedIn. And uh, as far as uh, Women of the World Endowment is concerned, it is a, a partner to this campaign. Um, the work that we do is to create proof points. Um, and so we, with the plex, we uh, Women of the World Endowment is actually a C3. We structured it as a C3, which gives our capital incredible flexibility and our team the opportunity to embrace, embrace complexity. And so we are creating proof points in the for-profit space uh, through our investments. We invest across the capital spectrum, all the way from public equities to us, uh, you know, uh, small seed uh, capital uh, in, in startups. But we also uh, leverage catalytic capital to bring about 
an opportunity to uh, for data aggregation, for data analytics, for leveraging data to actually translate it into investable strategies, but to also just uh, find the opportunity to remove the friction out of the plumbing of uh, financial markets. And so that's part of the work that we're doing, which um, is complementary to this campaign that we, we are embarking on, the 33 by, by 2033 campaign. Fantastic. I'm very excited for that. And as progress continues there, obviously, let's talk about um, meeting again to go over kind of updates in terms of what realizing the results from that campaign look like. And uh, thank you again, both for being here. I want to make sure I get best way to reach out and establish contact with you for any of our listeners as well too. Uh, Ruth, I think you mentioned LinkedIn, but please uh, let me know if that's correct. And then patients, I'd love to hear the same on your end. So uh, more information uh, on Women of the World Endowment can be found at womenoftheworldendowment.org, uh, our website, uh, and also uh, my LinkedIn, uh, Patience Marimabal is my uh, LinkedIn name. And uh, I look forward to getting invitations and uh, uh, getting connected to more people. Thank you, Patience. And Ruth, would LinkedIn be the best way to reach out to you as well? Yes, that would be that would be the best. Perfect. I can't thank you both enough for being here and sharing your incredible knowledge and experience with both myself and our audience. Uh, very excited for the work that you're doing and the results as well. So uh, thank you again. Thank, thank you, Sean. You and we look, much, we look forward to our next conversation with you. Very good. Thank you very much, Sean. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double in less than half the time, I encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, nxtstep.io forward slash impact.